Must be time to start. Everybody got quiet. <laughs> That's good. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody this morning. I'd like to take a moment to welcome you to our worship service. We'd like to invite you back at 7 p.m. on Wednesday for a midweek devotional. Those started last week, and we had 60, I believe, here Wednesday evening, which was very good crowd and. You know, sometimes things just seem right. It just seemed right. But it was, it was a good, good class. Have some announcements. Have several. Add Tracy Hamrick to your prayer list. Tracy is Steve and Peggy Rowe's daughter. She has recently been diagnosed with breast cancer. Add John Klein. He has knee replacement. Going to have knee replacement. Olivia Bennett's grandpa, Paul Davis, was having open-heart surgery this past week. Is that correct? And while he was having surgery, he had a stroke. So keep him in your prayers, please. We have been asked to pray for Dr. Jimmy Blanton, local chiropractor. He has COVID. Remember to keep Kristen and Rusty in your prayers as they continue their treatment for cancer and others that are battling health problems. Be sure to check the prayer list in today's bulletin sheet. Remember each one in your prayers. 
sympathy to the Cooper family at the passing of Dean on Friday. This has been a very hard time for his family with both Dean and Mary Alice being in the hospital. They were sharing a room and Mary Alice is now showing signs of recovering from hip surgery and pneumonia. Also, I have a couple things here from the Wilson and the Garlic family. From the Wilson family. Above all, thank you for your prayers. Thanks to everyone who provided wonderful food, flowers, and kind words at the visitation. Thanks for the visits and many other acts of sympathy. We'll see you soon. Sandy, Cy, Miranda, and Ray from the Garlic family. Thanks to everyone for the cards, texts, food, flyers, mostly your thoughts and prayers for our family during this time at the loss of our father, husband, and grandfather. Love the Garlic and Dunphy family. been a tough couple weeks. Bub Wilson passed away, I think, two weeks ago tomorrow evening. Frank passed away last Monday, is that correct? I think. And then Dean on Friday. I was thinking, whether it's important or not, of each one of these three men and, and some of the things that I knew they liked to do. Bub Wilson, when Richard Harp was here, took Richard hunting. I think Gary mentioned it in, 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 at the funeral. But I remember Richard's eyes being about that big around because Bub liked to hunt and hunted a little different Richard or didn't understand or not understand but didn't anyway Richard had a good time and it was funny he said he was on that four-wheeler flying through the woods and they got him a couple deer and I told Richard I said now if a game warden comes he can walk in your house at any time you better have tags for two and he said I ain't got tagged for one <laughs> but anyway Bub and, and the way he liked to hunt and fish and the type of things that, that we knew he liked and then Franklin Frank liked to play in the dirt. I don't mean that with any disrespect. But Frank had dozer in, in the truck, and he told me I bought his, when he was retiring, dozer in his uh, truck and used it on the farm for several years. And he said, if I was your age, he said, I'd buy a brand-new dozer and a brand-new truck and go to work. But anyway, I remember that. And then Dean, Dean liked politics. He was in Involved in the Rome community and the township and uh, just three different things, three different men, all three Christians, godly men, liking three completely different things. I thought that was something worth mentioning. Rosemary Callicoat, sister of Margaret Wilgus and Virginia Garlic, has been moved to Heritage Center for rehab. Continue prayers, please. 
gospel meeting at Main Street Church of Christ. And this is Hurricane. This is downtown in Main Street. Begins today, Sunday, 9.30 to 10.30 and 6.30 p.m. Monday through Wednesday. Guest speaker is B.J. Clark, director of Memphis School of Preaching. It's the first time we've announced that in over a year. Somebody's having a meeting. Are there any other announcements that needs to be made? I'd like to read Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 before we begin. Therefore, we also since... Got to get it closer. I can't see it. <laughs> Print's too small. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which also easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we're thankful for this beautiful day of life, for your son who came and died for us. We're thankful for the rain, for all the many blessings that you've given us, for the land in which we live, for our community, for this congregation. We're thankful for each person that is here this morning. We pray for those that want to be here but can't. Pray for those that... Uh, are not feeling well at this time, we ask that you bless each and every one. Go with us through this service. Be with Chris as he presents us with a lesson and John as he leads us into singing. And Father, as we surround the table to remember your son who came and died for us. Bless us this day, Father. Forgive us of our sins. We pray that the things we do will be in accordance with your will and pleasing unto you. Forgive us, in thy son's name we pray, and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, number 52. Blessed be the name. All praise to him who reigns above Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Da is beseden. Next hymn this morning, number 708. 708, Walking in Sunlight. After this hymn, Brother James Ward will have our scripture reading and prayer. Walking in Good God in prayer. Father, we humbly come to you this day thanking you so much for all the many blessings you've given us, Father. Father, for the rain that comes down. Father, for the change of the season, for the upcoming spring season that we see the trees in bloom, the flowers popping through the ground, Father. All the beautiful signs that you show us to let us know that you are here and around us at all times. Father, we're thankful for this church, the congregation here at Rome, where we can come with our brothers and sisters of like faith to sing songs of praise to you and commune with them. <clears throat> we're so grateful and thankful for the leaders here at the congregation, Father. Pray that you bless each and every one of them. Gary and Jerry and Clinton and their wives, Father, pray that you bless them. And we're thankful for Chris and Dave and the work here as well. Father, we pray that you'll be with those that have lost loved ones recently, the Wilson family, the Garlic family, and Cooper family, Father. Bless them. Give them the comfort that they need to get through. May the comfort in knowing that each man 
did know you and had been baptized will give them comfort as well. We give you praise in all things, dear Father, and we pray this day that if someone hasn't given themselves to come to know you, that this is the day that they put you on in baptism. We're so grateful and thankful for your son, Father, for his willingness to come to this earth to be a living sacrifice for us, Father. And I pray that we never take that for granted and that we can be the shining light in this community to help those that doesn't know you to come to know you. Please forgive us when we do wrong, Father, and through your son's name we pray. Amen. Hymn number 784, 784, Why Did My Savior Come to Earth? <clears throat> Why did my Savior come to earth and to
next time I have to do this, I'm going to sit up front and uh, uh, it takes me longer to get up here than it does to talk. Uh, this morning we're here for one reason, that to worship our God and Father who is in the heaven and to praise his son that laid down his life for our sins. This morning we will partake of five things. Everybody here knows we're singing, we're praying, we're teaching, we're communing, and we're giving. Right now we're going to go into what's called the Lord's Supper. For those that are visiting that's not familiar with this, we're going to give you a quick reason why we do what we do. Number one, what is the Lord's Supper? Okay. Number one, Jesus said, do this and remember me. I take that as a commandment, as a privilege, as an honor to be able to, to give back to him a remembrance of the greatness and the things that he laid down his life and gave for me. Number two, at this table, we are all gathered together as a body of Christ. That's what it's all about, the called out to save the body of Jesus Christ. In breaking bread, we follow an example just like Acts 20 and 7. They continued steadfast daily, assembling together. They also came together on the first day of the week, Acts 2 and 42. It's a communion, number four, it's a communion with the Lord. He told the apostles, I'm breaking this bread, I'm giving it to you. It's my body, not actual physical body, but a symbol that I was here, that I taught you and showed you the way to everlasting life. Also, we need at this time to think back seriously. What did Christ really do when he was hung on the cross? He had just been scourged. A lot of people here, including me, couldn't have taken that. But he withstood it. He took it. And then they took him and nailed him on a tree, spread his arms out, nails in his wrist, his feet, shoved a crown of thorns down on his head, the blood ran down into his eyes, his arms, he can't get them up to wipe. And I think everybody here's had sweat in their eyes and knows how it feels. Let's think about these things. Yet he was hung between two thieves. Christ wasn't a thief. He was the son of God, the, the, the Messiah that the Jews had looked for prophesied 600 years before this and yet they're hanging in between two thieves but yet Jesus hanging there between two thieves told one of the thieves when the thief said can I take can you take be, forgive me of my sins I'll get her down in a minute and Christ told him today thou shalt be with me in paradise he was still preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, 
and saving those who were willing to accept that gospel. Number five is a, a proclamation is of his death. For as often as he ate this bread and drank this cup, he proclaimed the Lord's death to lay down. The purpose was to bring us his body to remembrance what he did. And my yell, I sound like I'm yelling this time. Really beating back my ears. I'm sorry if I am. It's an anticipation of his second coming. He didn't just go away and say, Bye, I'm going. He said, I'm coming back, and I'm going to come back one of these days, and I'm going to gather you together, and I'm going to take you to be with me forever. Uh, this morning, I'm not going to read all the scriptures. I've already talked enough. I think everybody here knows where to find these things. So I'd ask you right now, now, I'm going to offer thanks for the bread. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege you've given us, this sovereign, everlasting attorney, to come together as the body of Christ to do the things that you've commanded and to remember the sacrifice that your son made for us, the lovely sound. And Father, we know that it was your will that this would happen. And Jesus stepped up and did what he was given a will to do. We pray, Father, your blessing be upon this bread that's a symbol of Christ and his broken body, the punishment he took for each of us. Forgive us, Father, as in his name we pray, amen. Again, please. We thank you again, Father, for this privilege. And we thank you, Father, for this fruit of the vine that represents to us the blood that we shed works. For without shedding blood, there is no remission of sins. Thank you, Father, for the privilege we have as the body of Christ to assemble to partake of this. worship service. And we pray in your son's name and in Christ. Amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper. We have another commandment to give. Uh, I'm not going to stand here and tell you you need to give a lot or you don't give a, give a lot. Read.
believe God's word, he'll tell you. The widow gave her might. That's all she had. She gave everything she had. The other people, the Jews, from what I can read, when their total giving was totaled up, it was somewhere around 40%. If I'm wrong, correct me, please. Uh, I don't put a limit on, on pay. I pay what I, I want. I'm able to pay, number one. Number two, I'm, I'm giving back to God something that He, he gave me. Uh, it's up to you and it's up to me what we give. And God knows what we give. And this congregation, we've been in a rough, rough time. I think everybody here on that path. This congregation, I'm sure, needs some help right now. I'd say every congregation does. And I think we ought to give back uh, what we can and, and our content to give and willing to give. Let's bow again. Father in heaven, we continue to thank you for this privilege. Father, we pray that everything that's said and done this morning might come up to you as a sweet smelling savor, that you might accept this worship in spirit and truth. And Father, we pray that you will bless us in the work that you left for us to do. Father, help us right now to start evangelizing this world. It needs help. We know that you're caring for it. We know that your will will be done in all things. And we pray, Father, for forgiveness for sins. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 671. 671. <clears throat> There's a royal banner. There's a
invitation hymn this morning, number 50, Are You Washed in the Blood? This time, Brother James, have a scripture. Have you ever done something and then walk away and about 15 seconds later go, I forgot something? Well, I forgot the reading, so here we go. Mark chapter 8, verses, uh, verse 4. Mark chapter 8, verse 4. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Good morning. Where we're going to be this morning, Mark chapter 8. It's a good thing Buzzy forgot. <laughs> now you're already there. Mark 8. Uh, so today we are rehashing maybe one of the miracles that we've already seen, right? Uh, although this one is markedly different. And just a few chapters ago, Jesus fed 5,000 men. We talked about how that was probably an army uh, of people ready to crown Jesus king, whether he wanted to be king or not. Today, we're reading a very similar miracle, although it is different. And in fact, one of your questions in the, uh, the bulletin article today, as you read through this uh, chapter this week, one of the questions I want you to struggle with is, what are the similarities and what are the differences between these two miracles? So, there's quite a few, right? Today, Jesus feeds 4,000 people. There's not 4,000 men. This isn't a crowd. These are people who are genuinely wanting to be with Jesus. Look in verse, uh, let's just read the first couple of verses here in Mark chapter 8. In those days, when a, again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples and said to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from far away. These people have been with Jesus for three days, listening to him teach, probably watching several miracles, getting to know him. Seeing, seeing him clearly. That's kind of what Mark is all about. Mark, especially in these first eight chapters, wants you to see Jesus clearly. Because a lot of people don't. The Pharisees certainly don't. The Sadducees certainly don't. Even the disciples don't really see him all that clearly. And Mark wants us to see Jesus clearly. Next week he's going to shift purposes. The, uh, the first eight chapters of Mark is riddled with miracles. I think there's somewhere around 20 miracles in the first eight chapters of Mark. The next eight chapters, Mark has got 16 chapters. Half are devoted to who is Jesus? Who is Jesus and what are you going to do with him? The second part uh, of Mark is devoted to convincing you that he's the Messiah, but probably not like the Jews are thinking of him as the Messiah. These people see him clearly. 
In fact, they see him so clearly that they are walking around with him in the middle of nowhere. The Bible calls this a desolate place, much like the feeding of the 5,000. This is not where a village is located. This is not a populated area. He has gone out into the wilderness because there are such crowds following him that he can't teach anywhere else. And so he's teaching out in the wilderness. And for the last three days, these people have been following him, listening to him teach without food. And they refuse to leave. They see Jesus pretty clearly, don't they? They're not even willing to leave him to go get food. And it's become such a dire situation that Jesus says, if I send them away now, a lot of them are just going to faint and they're going to die out here in the wilderness. They saw him clearly. They understood that he is more important than anything else. Food, family, life. They saw him clearly. And that is something not many other people in the Gospel of Mark do. Mark records time and time again the Pharisees coming up against Jesus and they've got question after question for him early on just trying to figure out who he is and what he's teaching and if they've heard what they heard is really true. And then they start pushing back. And they're looking, they start looking for a way to discredit him. And eventually they start looking for a way to kill him. Something that they can blame him for that is capital punishment worthy. They're getting there. That's coming. And in fact, some of the things that we see today are going to build up into that. But not these 4,000. These 4,000 see him clearly. And what a welcome reprieve it is, right? Mark is very ironic. Uh, in, his, in his writing, you're going to get to see a little picture of that today. He's also uh, very understated. And so this incredibly important crowd, Mark just kind of says, well, they've been following Jesus for three days and they're so hungry that they're going to pass out. And he just kind of leaves it out there with you. Well, why does he do that? Because, like we've talked about in the past, Mark wants you to see these strings and start pulling on them. Why does he want you to do that? Why, why put in the work? Why can't Mark just tell us, why can't God just tell us everything that he wants us to know, right? Because there's growth in pulling on those strings. That's where your heart starts changing. As you start pulling on those strings, trying to figure out what the text is trying to say to us, it starts changing you. God starts changing you. And so I think that's one of the reasons Mark doesn't just come out and say exactly what he's meaning. It's there. It's there for those of us who have eyes to see, is how Jesus might phrase that. But a lot of us have just kind of glossed that over very quickly, haven't we? Well, why's that? Well, because we read through the Bible very quickly, and we don't read it very contemplatively. We read it, but we don't study it, maybe. And we need to be better students of the Word. We need to be focused more on what He's saying and maybe less on getting through it in a year, right? Um, so these 4,000, they're impressive, right? What is maybe even more impressive than these people, though, is the verse that James read for us just a bit ago. The disciples, before Jesus feeds the 4,000, the disciples look at this massive crowd. You can see it on the screen behind me. This is a huge crowd. Like, you don't think how many... 
4,000 actually is until you start trying to logistically feed this many people. We used to do uh, youth rallies in Nashville and you try to feed 300 people. You mean pieces, pizzas it takes to feed 300 teenagers? A lot. <laughs> so the disciples look around at the, uh, this 4,000 person crowd and they start looking around and they say, go find bread, go find loaves. You know, because that's what we have in this area. There, there's bread. And they, they found seven loaves of bread and some small fish. The, the word here is sardines. So uh, these fish are small. Don't think, we're not talking catfish. Uh, we're talking sardines. And so they, found, they find this thing, these things. And they come up to Jesus. And when he says, give them something to eat, they say, how could anyone have the power Especially, they say power. How could anyone have the power to feed this massive crowd out here in the middle of nowhere? You see Mark's irony? Mark's got a really dry sense of humor, and you kind of see it coming through in his text here, especially today. How could anyone have the power to feed this massive crowd out here in the middle of nowhere, Jesus? It cracks me up that they say power. They use the word in Greek for power, dynamos where we get our word dynamite from, they, they say, how could anyone have the power to satisfy a crowd this size out here in the middle of nowhere? That word satisfy is going to be important too. Focus on that word power though. What have they just seen? I mean, just a few chapters ago. I don't know how many days have passed. It can't be that many. Jesus only ministered in public from about three years. If you had seen him feed this size crowd with a kid's lunch, how quickly would you forget it? Certainly would you come up to the guy who did that the first time and say, Jesus, who could have the power to feed this crowd with just this, these seven loaves? He's actually gotten more materials to work with now and less people to feed than he had the first time. And these guys come up to him and they say, who has the power to do this? You can almost see Jesus rolling his eyes <laughs> at the disciples, right? I don't know if he did that or not, but I feel like how frustrated he must have been. And you're going to get to see how frustrated he is with the Pharisees in just a bit. He doesn't show it here with the disciples. Why not? Because they're sticking with him. They don't understand everything. They certainly don't see Jesus clearly, although that's coming next week. They're going to see him a little bit more clearly next week than they do right now. But they stick with him. They don't leave. And they don't push back. They don't understand. They ask a lot of questions. And a lot of them are, they say there aren't any dumb questions. This is a dumb question. They ask a lot of silly questions. But they never push back. They always stay with them. That's different than the Pharisees. Who hear something that they don't like. And what do they do? They look for a way to destroy him. To discredit him. And they push back. And so you get to see the two different kinds of hearts on clear display here this morning. This word satisfied in Mark 8, 8. Look up at the screen and you just read this verse real quick. And he says, and they ate and were satisfied. They took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. It's interesting that, that those seven baskets full, that's the same type of basket that Paul a grown man was let down the wall in Damascus to escape murder. 
he, he was let down in this same basket. So these are very large baskets. But put that aside for a, so, for a just a second. And notice this word satisfied. This word is a word that keeps popping up. In fact, Mark uses it four times. And he's going to use it four times in this section. You've already seen a couple of times with the feeding of the 5,000. They were satisfied. And if you go back and you look at the Syrophoenician woman, the, the lady who has the issue of blood, she says uh, that... Uh, hold on. Sorry. 752 is where that's at. Uh, let's see. Didn't write it down. Okay. So, she is satisfied, right? Mark's going to use this word four times in the text. In, in his gospel, he uses this word four times. And each time is in this little section. From about 652, with the feeding of the 5,000, to right now in Mark 8, 8. It's the last time he uses this word. And his goal here is to teach us that if you will just listen, if you actually have ears to hear, Jesus is the one who can satisfy us. He's the only one who can satisfy us, right? Not just physically. Not just because we're hungry. But much more importantly, because we're spiritually sick. We're struggling with sin. And he says, I'm the only one who has the answer to that. And if you're just listening, I can give you the answer. The way out. So, Jesus feeds the 4,000. He sends the disciples uh, across the lake again uh, to a different portion of the country. Um, again, in a boat. He's crisscrossing throughout this section of Mark. He's crisscrossing all the time the Sea of Galilee. And he does that here again. The Pharisees come up to him and they begin to argue with him. They're pushing back, right? They only want to discredit him. They don't have ears to hear. They're not interested in what he has to say. They only want their own rules back in play. And that's what Jesus is trying to do to them. He's trying to take back God's kingdom. Because the Pharisees have absconded with it. They've made their own kingdom. And Jesus comes into, uh, into Galilee very early on in Mark. And he says, I've come to bring the kingdom back to God and the Pharisees just can't stand that. And so they argue with them. And they're seeking from him here in Mark 8 a sign from heaven to test him. They are so deeply hostile toward him. They are infuriated and frustrated that he will not stop teaching. That he continues to draw people away from them. They're away from their following. What I want you to see though is their question. This word in red up here, this sign, is a really interesting word. John uses this word exclusively when he talks about miracles in his own gospel. The word simon. <clears throat> and it is a miracle with a purpose. A miracle with a purpose. And in John, and here in Mark chapter 8, the purpose is insight and understanding. They want Jesus to do something so fabulous that it is obvious that he's from God. Without a doubt, he would be from God. Like feeding 5,000 people with a boy's lunch. 
something like that. I mean, you can kind of see Jesus listening to their question and going, were you guys there? You know, like, okay, let's try it again. How about feeding 4,000 people with, with seven loaves and a couple of sardines? Something like that? Would that prove that he's from God? Yeah? How about casting demons out of people? Repeatedly. Would that do it? No? How about all these healings? I mean, he's healed a blind, he's going to heal a blind man, he's healed deaf men, men, uh, men. he's healed lame men. Would that do it? Would that, would that be the sign that you're looking for, Pharisees? No? How about if he raised someone from the dead? Would that be proof incontrovertible that he is from God? That's what they're asking for. They're looking for proof positive. That he's from God. Give us a sign that will convince us. Jesus has given them sign after sign, so many signs that they're going to choke on them. And they refuse to see. Why? Because they don't have eyes to see. They don't want to see. They only want what they want. Sometimes we're like that, aren't we? We just want what we want. What we want. Pharisees are doing exactly the same thing. They don't want to hear. They've been given sign after sign after sign after sign. One of these would have been enough. He's lived for three years giving them sign after sign. After sign. Still not enough. They're still asking for more signs. And in fact, this is going to be one of the things that they're still asking for at the cross. If you're really the son of God, tell Elijah to come down and God will save you. They still don't get it. They're still not connecting the dots, although that's what they're asking for. They're asking for something that will connect the dots for them. You say you do these amazing things. You, you say you're from God. You say you are God. Give us proof. And Jesus says, okay, how about I feed 5,000 people with the kids' lunch? How about I feed 4,000 people with just a couple of loaves and some sardines? You're beginning to see the irony Mark has for us here. This is where Jesus gets frustrated with the, with the Pharisees. He sighs deeply. He's exasperated. This isn't anger. This is despair. Have you ever been so upset? You just, he's, not, he's not necessarily mad here. He's incredibly sad. They just refuse to get it. They refuse to see. And he's done absolutely everything in his power to convince them. Which is saying something because he's God. And they refuse to see. Yet, there are 4,000 Gentiles. He's in Gentile territory when he feeds the 4,000. When he fed the 5,000, he's in Jewish territory. When he feeds the 4,000, he's in Gentile territory. These are people who don't know about him. These are people who don't have, they don't have the privilege of having the Old Testament prophecies about him. They weren't forewarned to be looking out for him. But when they see him, what do they do? They attach themselves so closely to him that they're not even going to leave him to go get food. Not even when their stomachs start rumbling. Not even when their stomachs stop rumbling and they start feeling lightheaded. They are not leaving him. Not for anything. Yet here are these privileged Jewish leaders who have been taught theology. These men teach theology. 
and they won't see. So Jesus sighs deeply. Why does this generation seek a sign? He uses their word against them. Why do you seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation because he's already given you sign upon sign upon sign and you just refuse to see it. Just refuse to see it. So that's his, 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 uh, his argument there with the Pharisees. If you're familiar with TV, this is Captain Obvious, right? It should have been obvious to them that Jesus really is who he says he is. His miracles, his signs, bring that back to us. They authenticate who he is. It should have been obvious, but it wasn't. Not to them, because they didn't have eyes to see. They refused to pull on the threads. We've been talking about that a lot the last couple of weeks, haven't we? These guys refused to pull on the threads. They refused to see. We better not be like them. This is a dangerous trap. That's just as much, it's just as easy for us to fall in as it was for them. The next little section here, Mark 8, chapter 14. This is kind of incredible as well. Let's just read the first couple of verses here. Mark 8, verse 14. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread. He's talking about the disciples now. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. So they're going across the Sea of Galilee. They're in a boat. No storm this time. They've only got one loaf of bread. Got the details, right? Verse 15, And he cautioned them, saying, Jesus says, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Another one of your questions this week is, I want you to kind of struggle with, what is the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod? What's he, what's he exactly talking about there? But I'll, I'll leave that string for you to pull. We're not going to pull it today. But he says, Watch out. Some of the things that Herod and the Pharisees are, are, are thinking, they're dangerous, don't fall into that trap. But the way he says it, he uses that word leaven. And the disciples start thinking about bread. And they start being concerned that they only have one loaf and there's 13 guys in the boat. And what are we going to do? We're going to get hungry. Are you kidding me? You can go back through and read the rest of it for yourself. The rest of this little story here. Um, but Jesus kind of looks at him and says... When I fed the 5,000, how many, how many baskets did you guys bring up? And they said, well, 12. There were 12 of them. And you kind of see Jesus looking at him going, 12 baskets. Do you remember how we started? Andrew, you were the one that brought the boy to, to me, right? How, how, big a, how big a bag was it riding in the first time, this lunch? Andrew's like, well, it was about that big. Little kid's lunch, brown bag. And she said, how many baskets was it again? Twelve? Well. And when I just fed the 4,000, how many baskets did you bring up? And they say, seven. seven. Big baskets. You know, these things are man-sized baskets. Seven baskets, huh? Huh. He's kind of questioning whether they were really there. Did you actually see what was happening? I mean, did you check out and were you just kind of going through the motions? Or, or were you actually paying attention were you the ones who brought up those baskets or no? Surely you ought to get it. If you're the ones who handled the bread that was multiplied enough to feed this massive crowd twice, surely you're not worried about the fact that you only have one piece of bread. 
dove. You know, like, this ought to be obvious to them, but they're just not seeing clearly. Not yet. He's got one more thing for them, though. This is one of the probably most uh, talked about, questioned passages in Mark, maybe in all of Scripture. This is a very rare miracle. In fact, this is the only miracle of its type. So I wanted to read it for you. I want you to read it and think about it this week. It's in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And again, kind of like last week, I don't know why he does this miracle the way he does it, why he has to touch them, touch the man. But I think I know why Mark put it here. And I think it's kind of important for us to think about. Mark 8, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. That's another one of your questions this week to struggle through. Go back and, and do a study on Bethsaida. Lots of interesting things happen there. He comes again to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. They still think he has to touch them. Why? They've seen him heal people who aren't even in the same zip code as them. But they begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. That's important. Why does he lead him out of the village? He never does that any other time. All of his other miracles, he just he heals the person either right where they are or he goes back to the house and he heals them. Why does he leave this, take this man out of the village? It's important. It's a string we need to pull, right? We need to think about that. It's breadcrumb Mark's left for us. He takes the man out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes, I don't know why he does that. You figure it out. And laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? Never again does he ever ask anyone how the healing went. Go back through and read the rest of his miracles. He's not going to look at the deaf man. He said, hey, can you hear me now? He's not going to look at a paralyzed man and say, hey, can you walk? But this man, he asks how the healing went. And this is the amazing part, though. Listen to what the man actually says. Verse 24, and he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Did Jesus not put enough oomph in the healing? Did he not put enough power in the healing? Was he mistaken here about how badly this man's eyes, what condition they were in? Certainly not, right? Verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, don't even enter the village. So what's going on in this story? I think it's pretty simple. I think Jesus puts his hands on this man's eyes the first time, and he kind of partially heals him. And he asks the question, the guy answers, well, I can kind of see, but everything's really blurry, you know. And then I think Jesus looks over at the disciples like, huh, you getting it? This guy's like y'all. Huh? There's a good southern term for you. This guy's like you guys. He doesn't see clearly. I'm right in front of him, but he doesn't see me clearly. Kind of like you 12. Feeding of the, tw- feeding of the 5,000, you didn't get it. Feeding of the 4,000, you didn't get it. Just like this guy, he doesn't see clearly. And so Jesus has compassion on the man, and he heals him fully. And then he kind of looks at the disciples, and he goes, Huh? There's coming a day, pretty quickly, in Mark where they're going to see clearly. In fact, next week is the turning point in Mark where he pivots. Up until this point, he's been saying, who is Jesus? And his resounding answer, this is the culmination, the climax here, 
in Mark 8 is Jesus is God. It's so, so painfully obvious that he is who he says he is. He could not have made it any more clear, right? He is who he says he is. But then next week, we're going to pivot a little bit, and then the following week, we're going to pivot a whole lot. And we're going to talk about what are you going to do with him? Who do you think he is? Now you know that he's God. How are you going to handle him? What do you do with him? And what's a clear vision of who he is? Because he's not the warrior Messiah you think he is. In fact, the only battle he came to fight was the one against sin. And if you haven't been baptized into his blood, you're not seeing him clearly yet. You're like, you're like this man that he's kind of see things, but they're not, they're not clear just yet. Once you have your sins washed away, you begin to see them very clearly. And the more you study, the more clearly you see them. Are, are all your questions going to be answered? I've still got questions. I'm still pulling threads. I don't know why he spit on this man's eyes. There's a lot of other questions. Still pulling a lot of threads. But the more you study, the more clearly you see them. And that's the goal. I want to see them Clearly, The very first step to seeing him clearly is being baptized in his blood, having your sins washed away. There's no other way for salvation. There's no other route. He doesn't give us a plan B. That's it. Obey. That's what he says. Just, just obey. It's something simple. He says, just do it. And so we're, we're baptized into his blood, and we have our sins washed away, and then we rise, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, to walk in newness, of life. It's a completely different direction that we're headed after our baptism, after our repentance. We don't want to live that life anymore. Now we're following his agenda. We want the world to see him just as clearly as we see him. And so if that's your desire this morning, baptism is the first step that you need to take to have your sins washed away. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be, to see him clearly. If you have any need this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His gracious power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb?
closing hymn this morning, number 720, 720, <clears throat> and after this hymn, Brother Thomas Trevathan will have a prayer. We'll sing the first, first and last verse, watch and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and everything you've given us. Please be with the sick, Lord, and please help this virus go away. Thank you for giving us the ability to come here today and worship you. Thank you for Chris for presenting the lesson, and please help us see God clearly, and please help us see his word clearly as well. And please help us have a safe trip home, and in Jesus' name we do pray, amen.